I love a good mystery, and so does everyone else. In fact, everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. I know that our listeners will absolutely love this game because you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder, and you're becoming a detective. You're looking for clues, and each scene will lead you to a new thrilling storyline. This is a great way to engage your observation skills to uncover key pieces of information that lead you on to many chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. Right now, I'm in the process of interviewing family members, and this is bringing me back, just so you know, to my days in law enforcement, and I'm having such a blast with it because it is so much more lighthearted, but it also has the mystery of where will this take me? You can even chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. Megan, I think we should join a detective club together. We've got this. (laughs) Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast may contain content that is graphic and disturbing in nature. Listener discretion is advised. A 28-year-old woman is murdered on her South African honeymoon. Was this a carjacking gone bad, or had the whole trip been planned as a means to her end? This is the Annie Dewani story. Good morning, Megan. Good morning, Amy. I love how I would say it's nice to see you, but I think we saw each other, what, about 12 hours ago? We did, and what a wonderful time we had at the annual criminology conference. For me, I love spending the time with you, but it was so great to meet some of our listeners who are in academia as well. I know. It was very cool to see some of them in Atlanta. We're back now, but it was a great conference as usual. So cool to see how many of our listeners are pursuing PhDs or already working in the field. It's really awesome. I know. I thought that was cool, too. I was very excited for them. And it was, as always, Megan, it was wonderful to spend some quality time with you. Always. And you made it. The plane did not crash. I know. You know, I did pretty good. I was pretty impressed with myself. I didn't have any major breakdowns on the plane like I usually do, so... Yeah, you grabbed my hand pretty hard on the descent. But. I did. It was for like two minutes, though. It wasn't like yes, crazy. So I was still bad. proud of myself. Yes, I'm proud of you, too. Uh, Megan, before we begin today, we have a few end of year announcements. So, you know, Megan, it's that time of year where we like to give back. And while we give back throughout the year, I feel like the holidays, you know, you make the holidays make you feel a little more generous, right? I think so. I think it's just a time that reminds you how important giving is and kind of reminds you, you know, how grateful we are for what we have. 
So first, we'd like to mention that this year we've selected two organizations that we're going to support. Um, so, Megan, on the show, we talk a lot about women who are victims and also women who are offenders. And how they are often one and the same. Yes, exactly. So we really wanted to find a way to address the humanity on both sides of the issues that we discuss. That's exactly what we're going to be doing this year by supporting two organizations that each do work on one of these fronts. First is Mothers in Charge. Mothers in Charge was founded by a woman whose son was murdered during an altercation over a parking space. Mothers in Charge advocates for families affected by violence and provides counseling and grief support services for families when a loved one has been murdered. They're comprised of impassioned mothers, grandmothers, aunts, sisters, and others who are committed to working towards saving lives and preventing another mother from having to experience this terrible tragedy. The other organization that we're supporting this year is SELF, which stands for Strongly Embracing Life's Future. And it was founded by a woman who was incarcerated for 10 years and discovered just how hard reentry was. SELF provides vital programs and services for women reentering the community after incarceration and other traumatic circumstances. Now, their objective is to coach women in maintaining a safe and productive lifestyle contribute to their communities economically, and cultivate a mindset that allows for all women to flourish. Justice reform, it's a complicated topic, and we believe that helping victims recover is tremendously important. But also important, we have to interrupt the recidivism cycle. And we also should remember that mothers are more likely to be sole caretakers. And so giving them stability gives their family stability. This can also improve the chances of success for their children. So we'll be contributing to these two organizations this season. And if you would like to join and also give, please visit www.womenincrimepodcast.com slash give back. This is where you can find more information on these organizations and also links to donate. We'll have this link in our show notes. But once again, it's www.womenincrimepodcast.com dot com slash give back. We have a second announcement, which is something super cool that you've been working on. That's correct. We do. Our first true crime quiz. Patrons at the lifer level will have an opportunity to compete in our first true crime quiz, Amy. We'll have some cool prizes for the winners. And this quiz will be online for a couple of days to give folks in all time zones a shot at it. So we're going to be doing this a couple of times. It's going to be a combination. It's going to be some true crime trivia, also some criminology trivia, so the theories that we cover on our show, and finally, some trivia about your hosts. So if you want to test your true crime knowledge, check out the Lifer tier on Patreon. Lastly, we wish all of you a happy and safe holiday and all of the best in 2003. Now let's proceed to today's case, the Annie Dewani story. Sounds great. Annie Nina Hindoja was born on March 12, 1982, in Marised, Sweden. Her father, Vinyad, and mother, Nilam, grew up in Uganda, but they were both forced to leave in their early 20s because of their Indian descent. They fled to Sweden, where they settled into a nice life and they grew their family. Vinyad worked as an electrical engineer, and he had his own business in addition to that, and Nilam took care of the family and household duties. Annie was one of three children, and she was very close to her siblings. She was a very bright young woman and very well liked by her peers. After graduating from college, Annie moved to Stockholm to work in marketing for the cell phone maker Ericsson. Now that Annie had a career and was getting settled because she was living alone supporting herself and she was in her mid-20s, she decided it was time for her to find her match. 
She had wanted to meet a man of Indian descent, as it seemed that her culture was very important to her. I could only speculate here. I don't know her specific family values, but from the little bit I read about the family, it seems like it was important for her to carry on her family's culture. Annie had wealthy family living in London, and she frequently stayed with them during this time of her life. She loved London's social scene, and she felt that there were more prospective suitors who would maybe fit her requirements. In early 2009, around this time, Annie's aunt noticed a man who she thought might be perfect for her niece. He was Indian, wealthy, and good-looking, and his name was Shreen Dewani. I'm not sure if her aunt was actively looking for a match for her niece or if this just happened, but either way, when she met Shreen, she thought this, this would be a good match. So who's Shreen? Shreen grew up in Bristol and he attended Manchester University. He had worked for Deloitte for a short time and then left to work in the family business. Now, Shreen's family was very wealthy. They owned and oversaw various nursing homes throughout the UK. And by all accounts, Shreen was exactly what Annie was looking for. The two met briefly at a coffee shop and then they had their official first date in September of 2009, hitting it off immediately. They seemed to have a lot in common. Other than coming from very similar backgrounds, they both had similar visions for their future and shared a lot of the same cultural values. About six months after meeting Shreen, this was in February of 2020, Annie gave up her job in Stockholm and moved into an apartment in Lutton, which is north of London, so she could be closer to Shreen. So things are moving pretty quick. Around this time, the two families had also met and hit it off. I don't know if it was a formal process, but informally, the families kind of gave their blessings to both of their children. They they were happy with each other's choice and mates, and they did like each other's families. Okay. As I said, the relationship was moving fast, and soon Shreen proposed. And he didn't just do this simple proposal on a park bench. No, he got a private jet to take the two to Paris. And while having dinner at a very upscale restaurant, he popped the question with a $40,000 diamond engagement ring. Well, talk about a grand showing. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And, you know, to most people, the relationship seemed really happy. Mm -hmm. However, Annie confided in some close family and friends, saying that she wasn't sure if she should go ahead and marry Shreen. She had said that he was quite controlling and the two fought often. Now, it's not very clear what the nature of their disagreements were, but... Some text messages did show that he he seemed to be neater. She was a little messier. So they would get in, you know, typical disagreements about household things. There are some hints that it may have extended to other areas, but we can't be sure. Are you saying he was more a little bit more rigid kind of? Yep. Okay. And he was he seemingly more rigid and seemingly controlling okay. of Annie, which is, I think, we would normally think of as a red flag at this point in a relationship. All right. Now, these concerns were not strong enough for her to turn down the proposal, and she did move ahead with the wedding planning. And on October 19th, 2010, the couple got married in a lavish three-day event in Mumbai, India, having over 300 guests. Now, as I mentioned, Shreen's family was very wealthy. And although Annie's family wasn't as wealthy, they had been saving since she was a little girl for this day to give their daughter a lavish wedding. So they had this beautiful three-day event, and then they were going to be heading off to their honeymoon, as most couples do. Now, Shreen insisted on planning and paying for the honeymoon. In fact, he wouldn't even tell Annie what the plans were. He said he wanted it to be a surprise. Oh. Now, in retrospect, some people say this seems strange that she wouldn't have a say in it. Maybe this is culturally appropriate. I'm not really sure. Um, I don't think we can judge the way other people do things, but I would think most couples plan that together. 
I'd at least want to know where I was going. I, I'd have a level of discomfort about that. But you know what? Maybe some other people are cool and like, hey, surprise me. Go with the flow. That is not that would not be you or me. As we've seen in the past, I mean, he does lavish. Uh, I mean, just for the proposal, they took a private jet to Paris. So I'm sure she felt that she was in good hands and he was going to plan something quite extravagant. Mm-hmm. But I personally would love to have a say in it. Regardless, on November 8th, Shreen flew Annie to South Africa for their honeymoon getaway. Now, this would have worked for me. I would be very happy with the South African getaway. I know. It's one of your dream locations. Yep. And they started their trip in Kruger National Park, which is one of Africa's largest game reserves and well-known for their African safari tour. So they actually stayed on the safari for this leg of their trip. According to Annie's friends, she had texted frequently during this part of the trip and saying that, you know, the two of them were getting along well and that she was enjoying the trip. Okay. Because I think before the trip, she was, even after the wedding, there seemed to be... Well, a little tension or something? There seemed to be a little bit of tension okay. between the couple. But again, she's saying, you know, things are going well. Things are okay here. Weddings are also stressful times, too. You know, planning a wedding, executing a wedding, this can bring on stress. Yeah, so I think her family and friends were happy to hear that she was enjoying herself. So this was only part of the trip. The second leg of the trip is when the pair arrived at Cape Town International Airport. And this is on the evening of Friday, November 12th, 2010. And they were spending the rest of their trip at a five-star resort called the Cape Grace Hotel. Now, Megan, if you look up this hotel. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely upscale and somewhere I think we would enjoy going. Like a dream for me is going to Kruger Park, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So after landing, of course, they were going to make their way to their resort. And the hotel did offer shuttle services. I'm sure you've had this before when you stay at a hotel for free. They'll pick you up at the airport to bring you to the resort. Although these services were offered for the couple, Shreen decided that he would rather secure a ride from a local driver. So he saw a local man, I guess, you know, waiting as a driver. Um, This man was Zola Tango, and he worked as a limousine driver and a tour guide. Now, at the moment, he was off duty, not working at the tour guide because he moonlighted to make some extra money as just a driver on the side. Okay. So it's unclear why he did this. We know money is not an issue for him. So I understand why he would not feel the need to take advantage of a free shuttle ride. Maybe he wanted to give money to a local business, you know, a a local entrepreneur. Uh, It's not clear. Right. The couple arrived at their resort. The next day, they spent their time at the pool, just kind of lounging around, enjoying their vacation. That evening, the couple were set to visit Western Cape Province's most acclaimed restaurant. It's called 96 Wine Road. It's located in a beautiful vineyard about 30 miles east of their hotel. And you know how I feel about food. I did look up the menu. Of course. Um, it's quite it's quite far from where I am here in New Jersey. But, you know, just to see what they offer. And it, it looks extravagant. It is absolutely gorgeous. And the menu is fabulous. So one day, Megan. I was going to say, are you looking it up because you're planning your trip? Well, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. So as Shreen had arranged the night before, Zola picked up the couple at 8.30 p.m. to drive them to the restaurant. So this makes sense. He liked this guy that drove him to the hotel and he said, "Okay, you want to be our driver while we're here. And so the two made plans for him to return back. So Zola picked up the couple, but en route to this fancy restaurant in the vineyard, the couple decided that they wanted to check out something a little more local and a little more low key. Zola suggested a place called the Surfside Restaurant, which was located in the resort town of Strand. This was about a 30 minute drive southeast of their hotel. Now, the area was certainly less upscale than their resort or that initial vineyard that they were going to head to, Mm -hmm. but it still offered really good food and a beautiful ocean view. And by all accounts, the two had a really nice dinner together. Okay. 
At Shreen's request, Zola picked the couple up around 10.30 p.m. so they could head back to their resort in Cape Town. Shreen had said that they wanted to enjoy some late-night drinks at their hotel. Mm-hmm. But according to Shreen, as he would later testify, on the way back to the hotel from dinner, Annie wanted to take a different route. As he says, quote, Annie grew up in Sweden and she felt as if the area around the Cape Grace Hotel was just like home, so clean, so safe, and a bit sterile. Shreen said she wanted to see the, quote, real Africa. So as you may or may not know, most people that visit Cape Town do stay in the resort areas because it's known that the resort areas are much safer for tourists than to go off the beaten path. But, you know, I kind of understand this because when I travel, I, too, like to kind of check out the local culture. So to some, this may seem strange because it was 1030 at night. So you can't really see much that's going on with the local culture anyway. Either way, Zola complied and he took what could be described as the back roads. So the car veered off the highway into a more desolate back road type of area. Now, as the car approached a stop sign, things took a turn for the worse. According to Shreen, as the car stopped, he looked up and saw a man beating on the windshield with a gun. The next thing he knew, a man had shoved Zola into the passenger seat and took the wheel while the man with the gun got into the back seat with Shreen and Annie. The hijackers then drove a short distance to a gas station where they pushed Zola out of the car and continued driving with the frightened couple in the car. Zola headed to a nearby police station to report the carjacking. Now, the car continued driving for about 20 minutes when Shreen says that they stopped yet again and told Shreen to get out of the car and to leave his new wife behind. And he said at first the couple refused to separate, but then things escalated and he says, quote, they put a gun in my ear and pulled back the trigger. It was really the stuff of movies. Could you imagine? No. Uh, so frightening. I mean, no, That's this is terrifying. Now, Shreen says he was in shock and he was walking around in an area he didn't know. It was late at night and he was able to find help. A local man got him a phone so that he could call the police. So when authorities arrived, they took Shreen back to the hotel and that's where Zola was taken as well. Mm-hmm. At this point, the main focus was on trying to find Annie and getting her back safely. Unfortunately, the next day, the hijacked vehicle was discovered in a local residential area and Annie Dewani's deceased body was inside. She had been shot once in the neck at close range and several of her personal items were missing, such as her watch, a gold bracelet, her handbag and her BlackBerry mobile phone. There were some signs of a struggle. She had some bruising on her leg and the gunshot did go through her hand, which makes you think that she was in a defensive stance. Mm -hmm. But there was no evidence of sexual assault. And Amy, sorry, before they allegedly abducted her, they did not take anything from her husband, correct? No wallet, no. They didn't demand any, you know, he obviously would have had cash on him and other items and they demanded nothing from him, correct? Not that I noticed in any reports. Okay. It is possible that he offered them things like in the heat of the moment. I'm not sure. It's not exactly reported. Okay. Now, this is the rare type of crime, Megan, when investigators have a lot to explore early on. They have two surviving witnesses. They have the stolen vehicle, which is also the crime scene and mm-hmm. the place of the murder. And they have the victim's body. Mm-hmm. They also found a full palm print on the car that would lead them to their first suspect. Oh. So things moved pretty quick in this case. Now, their first suspect was a local man by the name of Zolil Majeni. Okay. 
Now, Mangeni had a prior record and his prints were on file and they were a match. That's how they were able to find this. You know, it's like our CODIS system. Yeah, I had a feeling. Okay. So he was arrested on November 16th, 2010, and he admitted very early on to the carjacking, but he adamantly denied murdering Annie. Mm. He said that his accomplice, Wemadoda Zawabi, was the trigger man and had shot Annie after she wouldn't let her have her handbag. Now, I want to apologize for my pronunciations of these names. Megan, you know I struggle with pronunciations of all sorts, but especially names in which I'm not familiar with. I can see that the struggle is on you, Amy, (laughs) and I know you're trying, so yes. The police quickly located Zwambi and brought him in for questioning. Shortly after, a third man was implicated by the name of Mandi Montalombo. He, too, was arrested and admitted that he had helped arrange the carjacking and robbery. So now we have three men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're saying three men, and you're also saying they were involved in arranging the carjacking. I would like to hear what their claim is. How is this arranged? Because what does that mean? Well, the most shocking of witnesses would come when Zola Tongo went from victim to co-conspirator. Now, remember the driver that Shreena hired? Mm-hmm. So during his police interview, Tongo dropped a bombshell. He claimed, yes, he did help orchestrate the carjacking, which did turn into the murder of Annie Dewani. But he said that he did it at the request of Annie's husband, Shreen. Now, according to Zola, after he dropped Shreen and Annie off from the hotel, Shreen had approached Zola and asked him if he knew of anyone who could help Shreen, quote, take out an associate. Shreen had offered Zola a large sum of money to set up the job. And Zola told police he had no idea at the time that the hit was for Shreen's wife, Annie. The other men in custody soon told a similar tale. And of course, this story was of great interest to the local authorities because this case was making national news and the murder of a tourist is not good publicity for an area like this that thrives off the tourist industry. Yep. Now, if this crime had in fact been arranged by her own husband, I think it would reflect less poorly on the local tourism industry. Yeah. The alleged trigger man, along with Tongo, were offered reduced sentences in exchange for guilty pleas and the promise of testimony against Shreen Dewani. The third suspect, Malumbo was granted full immunity from prosecution in exchange for his testimony against Shreen. Wow, full immunity. Okay. Yeah, so now you have three incentivized witnesses who are being offered either immunity or leniency to testify against this man. Amy, I'm just like curious. Are you going to get to this? But what's the motive here? We're going to spend a lot of time on the motive because I think that's the biggest question in this case. Okay. On December 7th, 2010, Zola Tongo appeared in the Western Cape High Court in accordance with his plea deal, and he pled guilty to armed robbery, kidnapping, and the murder of Annie Dewani, but alleged that the crimes were committed at the behest of Shreen Dewani. Now, Tongo was sentenced to 18 years in prison, contingent on his testifying against Shreen in any future legal proceedings. As mentioned, two of the three other men took plea deals, and then the one remaining man, Minjeni, went to trial. Now, he had claimed that he was tortured by police, and he says he was not even there. But because his handprint was on the car, he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life. So there's a lot of interesting things going on here at the local level. Okay, so we have three men taking a plea deal, one man going to trial because he claimed he was innocent and Mm -hmm. kind of just got swept up in this whole thing. And that would kind of stick with the story because there were only two 
Zola was driving the car. Zola mm-hmm. Tonga was driving the car. And then there were two hijackers. So it kind of seems like where does Mingeni fit into this anyway? Mm-hmm. Again, his palm print was found on the car. But as we know, there could be a million other reasons why his print was on that car. Sure. Regardless, he was convicted of murder and sentenced to life, which would be very unfortunate if he had nothing to do with the situation at all. Well, of course. Yeah. Meanwhile, Shreen returned to London, but he was fighting many battles, both legal and personal. Personally, he was suffering from PTSD and many other mental health issues, and he was committed to a mental health facility for some time. He was struggling because a lot of people believed that he had something to do with arranging for the murder of his new wife. And the media, as they often do in these types of cases, digging up any dirt they could. And at this time, it came out that Shreen was, in fact, bisexual. He had a history of having sexual relationships with men possibly known or unknown to his wife, Annie. Annie's family certainly did not know, and they were not happy with this information. Did they know if he was having any type of relationship at the time of his marriage? But it seems like they just knew there was a history. Okay. Yeah, and I know why you're asking, because that could be, some could see that as a motive, right? Yes. It's also not clear to anyone that Annie had any idea that he was, in fact, bisexual. Okay. But of course, we can't know because we're not in the relationship. So it's of course, and unfortunately, she's deceased. So I don't I don't actually know how much she knew or did not know. And it's possible. Remember, I said they had a lot of arguments. Maybe she did know. And that was part of their relationship issues. I don't know. Okay. In April of 2014, Shreen was extradited to South Africa, where he was arrested, charged and ordered to stand trial for allegedly arranging the murder of his wife. Now, he was charged with conspiracy to commit kidnapping robbery with aggravated circumstances, murder, kidnapping, and obstructing the administration of justice. And he pled guilty to all five charges. Okay. So this case was going to trial. Yeah. Shreen's trial began on October 6, 2014, but the prosecution's case crumbled pretty quick because their key witnesses, Tongo, Zwambi, and Malombo, they started contradicting their previous statements and started contradicting each other. And most of the key elements of the murder for hire story started to crumble when they were put on the stand. Mm -hmm. Because, again, that's really all they had against Shreen at this point was the testimony, the incentivized testimony of these men. Tongo and Lombo were found to have fabricated telephone calls and text messages and refused to identify a fifth conspirator that they had referred to the past in taped interrogations. Zwambi also refused to explain to the court why Annie was driven into a residential area. So some people questioned this whole situation, which we're going to pick apart. But, you know, were these men planning on killing her? Why would they leave the car in a residential area where it could be found when there were so many remote areas where they could have left the car? Good questions. Amy, you just mentioned fabricated uh, text messages and phone calls. What are you talking about? What does that mean? The investigators had phone records Mm -hmm. and they, they were able to see that that Zola, Tongo, and Shreen were communicating at all the times that it fits with both men's stories. Okay. And CCTV also shows that when they first got to the resort, you could see Shreen going back outside to talk to Zola. You know, to Shreen, they were arranging the pickup for the next night. But Zola said that conversation is when they were arranging this murder for hire plot. At another point, CCTV footage shows Shireen giving an envelope, which was, I believe, an envelope of money to Zola. Mm. It doesn't look great, but then there's also evidence that shows that Zola was supposed to be putting together a private helicopter ride for the couple for oh, the next day. Okay. So it's like a lot of the evidence could really go either way. At some point, Zola had taken Shireen to exchange money 
at like a local exchange place that had a better rate. And some people say, oh, well, that's the money for the murder for hire. But again, there was also this helicopter ride. So the men testifying claimed that there were other phone calls that they were never able to find proof of. So again, things are starting to crumble a little bit for the prosecution. On November 24th, 2014, after the close of the prosecution's case, Shereen's counsel cited a lack of credible evidence linking Shereen to the crime, and they filed an application for case dismissal. Mm -hmm. There's no harm in trying, so we see often that the defense will file a motion for dismissal, but they're not usually successful. They don't usually prevail. But less than two weeks later, the dismissal was granted by a judge who acquitted and exonerated Shereen of all involvement. Wow. In her judgment, the judge said there was no credible evidence. And she said, quote, Mr. Tongo, who was the only witness who could have linked the accused to this conspiracy, gave evidence to the court, which is so improbable and contains so many mistakes, lies and inconsistencies that one simply cannot know where the lies end and the truth begins. Wow, that's a powerful statement by the judge. Very powerful statement by the judge. It continues. Oh. She says, I accept at this stage of the proceedings, the credibility of a witness plays a limited role. But in my view, the evidence of these witnesses is so replete with fundamental contradictions on the key components of the state's case that I can all but ignore it. Lastly, she says, in making this finding, I take into account that all three of the witnesses are intelligent people and more than capable of twisting their version to implicate the accused. Very interesting. I don't know this legal system, of course, as well as our legal system, but I think most people could agree this was pretty. This was a pretty powerful statement by a very well-respected judge. After Shreen's exoneration, Annie's family asked for a coroner's court in the UK to reopen the inquest into her death. And what they were looking for is they wanted Shreen to publicly answer questions that they had. But it was denied on the grounds that a full inquest was inappropriate because the criminal trial had already been conducted in South Africa. Mm -hmm. So therefore, there was insufficient cause to continue looking into it. Right. Megan, does it surprise you that the U.K. wasn't willing to open the case because they feel that South Africa already did a thorough inquest? I mean, without knowing the specifics, you know, I, I can't speak to it in terms of like their own operations and the way they work. But it does seem like the only evidence against him was that of, you know, people who uh, the testimony of possibly documented liars. And so I'm not sure, given that they felt that it was sufficient. I mean, we we go forward in the U.S. with cases like this, but I think you and I have critiqued that very much so. So perhaps, you know, perhaps they just don't see that that there was no other evidence and they felt like that was a strong enough statement to close it down and not subject him to, you know, the the full process. It's, it would be really hard for me to say without contextually understanding like all of the uh, operations and the systems at work, to be perfectly honest. So where are we today with this case? There are still many people that believe that Shreen is guilty, but there's simply no evidence. So Shreen is an innocent man. Shreen is reportedly in a committed relationship with a Brazilian man, and they seem very happy, as reported by some local news outlets. Annie's family, while they do not have any ill feelings towards his sexuality, they were very unhappy that the two men recently vacationed in Mumbai, where he had gotten married to Annie. So they felt that that was that was disrespectful. I think it's interesting, too. I guess his family, I wonder if they accepted the fact that he you know, it seems that he just went out and decided to be himself. It seems that Shreen has a very supportive family. Yeah. Because there were pictures in the media of Shreen and his partner 
out to dinner with all of Shireen's family members. So they do look like they are accepting this lifestyle. Knowing what's going on with Shireen, what about the other men that were involved and the one who took plea deals? Are they still incarcerated? Uh, One of the men died in 2014 from a brain tumor. Zola Tongo, now age 42, was just recently released a couple of months ago. He was released on parole. He only ended up having to serve eight years in prison, and he will be done with his parole term in another six years. So I think Annie's family, it seems like justice has not been served because you have the, the, the only person who's serving time still is the one who seemingly might not have had anything to do with this. The one whose palm print was found. Yeah, I would not feel a sense of justice if I was Annie's family here. This feels like very disjointed, fractured justice. It doesn't feel like justice. So I understand and I can, I sympathize with the family. So as you asked earlier, Megan, I think the biggest question in this case is what would have been the motive here? You know, why would Shreen have wanted his wife dead? I mean, there could, there's no financial gain here other than the fact that there was no life insurance policy. He was a millionaire in his own right. I believe we can take financial motive off the table. Would you agree with that from what you know? Absolutely. Now, is, should his sexuality be considered a motive for planning a hit on his new bride on their honeymoon? I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to just say it. I don't see the motive here. I understand why that might come into question and how he, you know, changed his lifestyle afterwards. But going with my my gut, I do not think that was a motive here. Because you have to wonder, you know, would he why would he plan a trip if he really wanted to have Annie out of the picture? Why would he plan this in a foreign country? Why would he trust a random driver that he had just met? It makes more sense to me. Or I can understand more why these men would have tried to throw Shereen under the bus because obviously they were all granted leniency for their testimony. Yeah. So I think Zola maybe saw an opportunity because he saw how wealthy Shereen was Mm -hmm. and maybe they were going to take Annie for ransom money or and then something went wrong. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I agree with you. I see this more as a crime of opportunity based on, you know, what they they learned, they ascertained, you know, they were valuable and maybe she was very valuable to them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't actually think if I had to guess, I don't think that Shireen was involved in this. Yeah, well, some people say he planned. Remember how he planned the trip? Yes. So as we always see in these cases, when something happens, you go back and scrutinize every little detail. And m- many people who believe he may have had something to do with the murder of Annie say, well, Why did they go to South Africa? Why was it a surprise? Did he plan a trip on purpose knowing that there was a high crime rate? And perhaps he thought since there was a high crime rate in South Africa, they would go there. He would get it done there and people would just assume that it was a random act of violence. I think that might be a stretch for me. I can understand the speculation, but in the end, I don't I don't I really don't see his involvement in the end. So what do you think about Zola's motives? Do you think that this was something he was planning or he saw an opportunity when he met Shreen and Annie? Probably saw an opportunity. Although I, I wouldn't say that, you know, a criminal history is out of his uh, background and that he probably didn't have some type of history, you know, whatsoever of... I wouldn't say that there was a criminal history that's out of his background or that this maybe wasn't in his wheelhouse before. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think he probably saw a great opportunity when they came by as well. That would make more sense to me. I think we also need to acknowledge the rampant history of police corruption in these areas. And could it have been possible that the police or that officials intimidated these men to implicate Shreen, knowing that it would look bad for the local economy if there was violence against 
these wealthy tourists. Look, of course, that's a possibility. It's also a possibility they implicated him just to save themselves because they were smart enough. Hey, we need someone. These are all certainly possibilities. And I would agree that it would not look good for tourism. So, yes, it seems like almost a double incentive to implicate some an outsider. I did not get a chance to watch, but there is a documentary, I believe, on Paramount or Discovery about this case. Um, And they do talk to Zola Tongo and some other people involved in the case. But I think this is very unfortunate because primarily we lost a young life of Annie Dewani and her family. They just simply don't have answers. And if Shreen is, in fact, innocent, his life was ruined as well. Um, He lost his wife. Now, whether or not their relationship was rocky, it doesn't matter. He still was a victim then, a victim of a violent carjacking. What do you think about the fact that they let him go and only kept Annie? I think that also made people suspect him of wrongdoing. I think that's also odd. But then again, she poses less of a threat for resistance, for, you know, violence. Maybe they also saw she had the jewelry, you know. It might have simply just been a calculation like, you know, with one less person and with a female, we could probably this will probably be easier and less opportunity for a struggle. So that's the uh, the possible explanation there. And some questioned why why these men did not sexually assault Annie. And there was, in fact, one eyewitness who came forward and said that when her body was found, her she was um, partially nude. Mm-hmm. And so there are some people that believe that it It was a police cover-up by not reporting the sexual assault. That's possible, and it's possible that wasn't the primary motive. And it's also possible that that was a motive, but because of the level of resistance, the time, the panic, they just didn't execute that. Very all possibilities here, Amy. So did the system get it right? I think it's hard to say because we don't know exactly what happened to Annie Dewani. Yeah, oftentimes I feel much more certain at the end about what happened and who was involved. So in this case, I'm going to reserve my judgment on this um, because I'm really not sure. I will tell you this, her family didn't get justice, and I hope that someday in some way they will find it. I totally agree because uh, they definitely lost, you know, this is about losing a loved one way too soon, an innocent victim who was taken, an innocent victim who was taken way too soon from loved ones. Absolutely. Well, thank you all for listening today, and we will catch you next time on Women in Crime. Women in Crime is hosted by Megan Sachs and Amy Schlossberg. Our producer and editor is James Varga. Music composition is by Dessert Media. If you enjoy the show, please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can also support the show through Patreon, where you can get access to additional ad-free content such as virtual happy hours and an extra full-length episode each month. For more information, visit patreon.com slash women in crime. Sources for today's episode include Atavist Magazine, The Independent, The Guardian, The Daily Mail, BBC, and the Southern African Legal Information Institute. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.